Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 143 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Bonjour. And my husband Dylan's the sound recordist. We. Hello. (laughs) We are recording from a garage right now, which is kind of exciting. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not even a garage that we own or have any connection to. It's just we wanted to change the pace. Guys, I'm sorry that this tour has been kind of weird. (laughs) Yeah, Dylan, you're also the tour manager. Stop putting us in random garages. I should have known when he said he called it like the dusty Pasadena tour. I didn't like the sound of that. Yeah, it's weird that you're doing a remote tour without me. (laughs) Because no one's allowed to be at these shows that you're putting on by yourselves. Yeah. Um, Well... One thing that I wanted to talk about today on the podcast, first of all, last time we asked people that both listen to the podcast and enjoy puzzles to put a secret code word on our Instagram. No one responded. Yeah. So I was sad. I think we can safely say that those two audiences don't match up. Yeah, which is hilarious because based on what the activity on the Instagram lately, Bailey has been killing it. Uh, and but I'm it's re- just puzzles. I, yeah, I'm realizing more and more how heavily our Instagram following favors puzzle people. Yes. Speaking of, I won a puzzle contest on Instagram. Boop, boop, boop. There was a contest with the brand Better Co., which is like sort of an arty puzzle company, that they came up with a new line of puzzles, and there were 14 new puzzles, and whoever was the first to finish one of them got a free new puzzle. And I was the first to finish one of the puzzles. It was weird. I don't know if you guys have gotten this, but like it was the level of COVID where I was like, this is really important and I need to be working (laughs) on this right now. And then as soon as it's done, it was like, what am I doing? (laughs) (laughs) The distraction only works while you're like actively engaged in it. Yeah. You were supposed Mm -hmm. to be reading the book. How dare you? For Uh, me, for me, that works uh, one 25 minute run of Hades at a time on Switch. I'm like, this really matters. I'm going to escape from hell this time. And then I finish and I'm like, well, back to reality. (laughs) Well, back to hell. (laughs) (laughs) So I actually have the opposite of shame this week. I read a book, a bonus book from my list. Bonus book. (laughs) Extra credit. (laughs) Big, big bonus books. Um, I posted about this on Instagram. You might have seen. I read Rory Power's latest book. We had Rory Power on the podcast to talk about her book, Wilder Girls. This is her latest book called Burn Our Bodies Down. Burn, burn, burn. Burn, burn, burn. Burn, baby, burn. Baby, burn. Um, And I would definitely recommend it. I don't want to say too much because it will give it away, but it has some of the craziest twists. It actually pairs well with both The Fire Next Time and V.C. Andrews. It's kind of the middle of them. Are you just saying that because there's fire in the title? No, no, no. It's fire and there's some crazy twists. Whoa. Okay. Um... (laughs) Uh, I ended up giving it five stars. It's fun. It kept me going. I didn't want to put it down. I wanted to know what was happening. And when the reveals happened, I was like, whoa. Um, But it's about a girl who um, wants to know more about her family because she doesn't really know much about her history. So she runs away from home and goes to her family's farm. Uh, It's like a cornfield. And she Mm -hmm. discovers a body that's herself. The, the body looks exactly like her, um, and he tries to rescue her from a fire, but she can't, and that's the beginning of the book, and then it goes from there. It really does tie in well with V.C. Andrews, because in that one, it also features a girl who wants to know more about her family. Physically. Too much hepatic. <laughs> oh, no. So yeah, I would recommend it. It's fun. Oh, guys, we're missing the big announcement. What? I can't believe you guys aren't uh, razzing me about this. 
Netflix made a big announcement that oh, I'm very excited yes. about. Redwall. Oh, yes. Getting a full series. It's like several things are in the works. I don't remember. Several people sent this to me and were like, you guys have to have a special podcast episode to talk about it. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I can handle that <laughs> level of Toby. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm amped. I'm amped. There is like a, a very tuned down on the violence, like very kid friendly, I think, Canadian TV version of the series already out there. It's lame. This is going to be a hard R Netflix show (laughs) with, like, graphic nudity. Hard R for Redwall. I'm into it. I think uh, it could be really cool. I mean... I'm prepared to be disappointed, as you as you should always be when something you know that's your favorite is adapted. But I'm excited. Dylan, didn't you say it was being done by the people who did Over the Garden Wall and like Adventure Time? Yep. So that, that's not a bad. That's a pedigree. good team. It could yeah. be pretty funny then. Yeah, I hope they realize the humor and the ridiculousness of Red Wall and how no one should take it seriously. <laughs> uh, I mean, you can't take it too seriously. <laughs> I'm excited to see Clooney the Scourge. Who do you think should voice Clooney the Scourge? Ooh. Oh, Tim Curry. He's he doesn't do voiceover work anymore. Very old. He's had okay, his... okay. Well, younger Tim Curry. <laughs> they should just bring in Rizzo the Rat from the Muppets and just have him. <laughs> hey guys, I'm Rizzo. I mean, sorry, Clooney. Let's go. Let's go get that Abby. Is that good? And there's one Muppet in the in it, yeah, and he's I just a, he's actually a puppet. On Reddit or Twitter, I should have researched this a little bit better. But someone pitched the idea that it's like Greg Gatsby is now going to be fallen into public domain mm-hmm. this year. Mm-hmm. And yes, of yes. course, that means that the Muppets should do their adaptation of it, how they did Treasure Island and Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they were going into like how you would cast it and everything because we need one human to probably play Nick. I think the human should be Gatsby. Nah, Nick. No, Gatsby's going to be Kermit. Kermit isn't really a Gatsby, though. Yeah. Gatsby is Beaker. No. It just doesn't talk throughout the whole (laughs) thing. Exactly. I'm Bunsen Honeydew. I'm Nick. I just think it should be Leo DiCaprio again. Just (laughs) do a shopper shot of the Baz Luhrmann one. Yeah, Baz Luhrmann's Muppets. (laughs) Great Gatsby. 50% of the background actors are Muppets. No other characters are played by Muppets. It's never explained. With Miss Piggy singing Lana Del Rey. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Miss Piggy as Daisy. Now that one I can see. Um, Okay. Well, if you have any ideas about who should, you know, play Gatsby, if it should be a Muppet or if it should be an actor, you know, hit us up. All right. Well. This is a very special episode. I'm excited <laughs> to get going because this is the I think this takes the cake for the weirdest combination of books we've had randomly Ab- chosen. Absolutely. I agree. <laughs> I think this is the combination that everyone has been wanting to see for years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Toby, what did you read this week? I read The Fire Next Time by James Baldwin. Fire, fire. Next time. Two essays, not a novel like we suggested in the intro of this thing. Certainly not. I was not aware. (laughs) Well, I'm going to talk about it now, so it's all good. Excellent. Uh, So The Fire Next Time is hardly even a book. It's just two essays. Um, One is titled, My Dungeon Shook, colon, Letter to My Nephew on the 100th Anniversary of the Emancipation. And the other is titled, Down at the Cross, colon, Letter from a Region of My Mind. Um... Yeah, I think it's really interesting. It's a, I think it's a well-known work by Baldwin, and I always assumed it was a novella or something. I just, I had never really, I'd seen it many times, but yeah, it's interesting to me that it's two essays, and interestingly, they're very similar and very different in, in lots of ways. So the first one is hardly more than a few pages long. Um, it really reads like a short letter uh, to his nephew. It packs a huge punch uh, for how short it is. I was really reminded of Ta-Nehisi Coates's uh, bestseller, Between the World and Me, which of course is addressed to his son. Um, and they share kind of a common theme, which is kind of considering the tragedy of having to inform their younger relations about the terrible realities of race in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and right away, 
when you read this first essay, I personally was drawn in by the power of his prose and the kind of emotionality behind it, uh, mixed with like the intense logical arguments that he makes, which I think is, it characterizes the whole book and it was the most amazing part of it to me. Um, I have a quote here from this first essay. He is directly addressing his nephew here. I have known both of you all your lives, have carried your daddy in my arms and on my shoulders, kissed and spanked him and watched him learn to walk. I don't know if you've known anybody from that far back, if you've loved anybody that long, first as an infant, then as a child, then as a man. You gain a strange perspective on time and human pain and effort. Oh, so he's a lot older than his brother. You may know and learn in facts about uh, his relationship to the rest of his uh, siblings. He's got to tease it. Um, The second essay is uh, most of the book. It's a sprawling autobiographical account of Baldwin's young life growing up um, in the Bronx. Uh, He becomes involved with the church, um, even preaching when he's a young man. And then he leaves the church behind and kind of comes into his own as an essayist and kind of respected thinker. And toward the end of it, he has a kind of dinner with the Nation of Islam. The leader at that point, uh, Elijah Muhammad, invites him to dinner and kind of pitches him to join up with them. The pain he describes and the suffering uh, and the critiques he has, the scathing critiques of America and the kind of original sin of slavery and even beyond that into history. Oh man, he he talks about how Christianity has kind of co-signed in the enslaving of people in, in service of its own ends. Really like you feel kind of like you're on a slow roller coaster like a mental roller coaster where you're just kind of being borne along by his intellect and you're constantly amazed at how he can tackle issue after issue with powerful emotion and and really intense logic. So uh, one of the things I really um, appreciated about this was how confessional and direct he was in his storytelling. Um, he talks about growing up and kind of seeing a life that is actually very familiar to this podcast from Pimp. Um, he sees kind of sex workers on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, he sees kind of the life of crime and poverty that he desperately wants to escape. And he kind of runs the other way into the church. Um, and he's very direct about the reasons why he does that, because he kind of feels the pull of the kind of degradation in front of him and he kind of sprints away from that but it is you know it's very complicated and and he explains it very well um and i'm not explaining it super well (laughs) you're doing Uh, great toby thank you i mean to be fair to try to follow james baldwin is going to be tough yeah yeah toby why can't you be as good as james baldwin at explaining things (laughs) it really it really is one of those things where it's it's so compact and he covers so much ground it's it's just amazing and uh and i'm just trying to give my impression of reading it he's one of those writers for me too where he can be scathing, terrifying, and funny in the same page uh, in a kind of wry humor. And it's amazing to kind of watch him wield those sentences. And I think one of the most interesting scenes, because most of it is kind of storytelling in a general sense where he's talking about his overall experience. He really does set the scene uh, for when he has dinner with Elijah Muhammad and his kind of followers. And you feel in amazingly good hands there. You feel kind of secure in Baldwin's point of view. And he really guides you through what is an amazingly interesting situation. So overall, this book is incredible. Um, I think there's a lot of people looking for what to read in this kind of genre. And um, this is quite an old book, especially compared to a lot of the ones on the bestseller list these days. Um, And it is a scathing and powerful and intense book. I found it really, really 
amazing to read. It's quite an experience, um, and I, I recommend it. I'm going to give it five stars. Five stars. Yeah. All right. Five stars. Have you read Baldwin before, and are you going to read more? No, this is so – I thought that was interesting. I'm like, this is my first Baldwin I've ever read, and now I'm really, really interested to read some of his um, fiction. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Cool. Well, I recommend Giovanni's room. Yeah. Uh, we're five stars for five stars on both our bald ones. So that's very cool that we've reviewed. Yeah. Yeah. And looking over my Goodreads, I rated this book five stars in college. Ooh, okay. So there you go. Andrew, do you have any facts on Baldwin? I do. I do. Um, so I would say, first of all, that in episode eight, Giovanni's room is also a star. Toby laid out facts very well about his life. So we do already have those on the record. So I'm not going to go maybe quite as deep on this as I we have for other authors in the past, just because we have already gone over his life before. But I found a few facts and a few basic things about Mr. Baldwin, and I hope that is enough for all of you. All right. So uh, James Baldwin was born on August 2nd, 1924 in New York City. He died on December 1st, 1987. And we'll get into this hmm. later on. But Literally the same age as V.C. Andrews and separated by a year. V.C. Andrews was born a year earlier and died a year earlier. So Whoa. they were living parallel lives. Now their content. <laughs> I haven't read uh, Flowers in the Attic. I do not know if it is similar to The Fire this well, next time. It's the um, prequel to Giovanni's Room. <laughs> <laughs> the Attic is right next door to Giovanni's yeah. Room. Um, he was raised by his mother and his stepfather, along with his eight siblings uh, that his mother and stepfather had together. So he was the oldest in this situation, except for another child that his stepfather had from a previous marriage. So when I teased that fact earlier on, he was very much like watching over a lot of his younger siblings. So he mm -hmm. had a sort of paternal relationship with a lot of them. Um, an interesting fact about his uh, his youth in, in Harlem, um, he wrote the song that became his uh, school's school song. Um, and it was used until the school, which was PS24 on 128th Street, until it closed. So hmm. if you had gone for a time, you would have been singing an original James Baldwin composition that he wrote while he was at school as a child, which I thought was pretty cool. Wow. That is really cool. So here are just a few sort of quick facts. Um, this is taken from the, the website of The Root. He was a teen preacher, which I think actually gets chronicled in uh, the second essay, um, mm -hmm. Letter from a Region in My Mind. This is a quote from that. I became during my 14th year for the first time in my life afraid, afraid of the evil within me and afraid of the evil without. And during that time, he uh, became a teen preacher. He eventually would leave after becoming disillusioned with Christianity, but it was a part of his life and also became a theme in a lot of his works, including um, Go Tell It on the Mountain, which Toby, if you were really drawn in by especially the letter from region in my mind, I would recommend you starting with. And I say that not because I have read it because it is shamefully on my to read list. So Ooh. eventually we may cover it. But I just in comparing a lot of his works, that one gets compared to Letter in a Region in My Mind a lot. Awesome. Uh, and we mentioned this in episode eight, which all of you remember perfectly, I'm sure, but he worked across a lot of different mediums. He was an essayist. He also was a novelist, obviously, including uh, Giovanni's Room and Go Tell It on the Mountain. Uh, but he also worked as a playwright, as a poet, a critic, pretty much anything you could write down. James Baldwin has a better version than you could do in print <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> I believe that. Having only read this, I believe it. It's, the writing is so incredibly strong. It's crazy. I don't know. I'm pretty good at writing public school fight songs. So I think <laughs> I'd beat it. I don't know. Check out PS. <laughs> <laughs> so this fact I actually found on mentalfloss.com. It's about his relationship with Maya Angelou and uh, how uh, I know why The Caged Bird Sings got published, which can very sort of tenuously be traced back to James Baldwin. Okay. I'm going to quote directly. Uh, James Baldwin and Maya Angelou shared a special relationship. 
One night, Baldwin brought Angelou to a party at the New York City home of Pulitzer Prize-winning cartoonist Jules Pfeiffer and his wife Judy. At some point in the evening, many of the guests began sharing stories of their childhood, and Judy was particularly moved by Angelou's tale. Judy shared Angelou's tale with Random House editor Robert Loomis and urged him to ask Angelou to write a book, but Angelou declined, saying that she wrote poems and plays, not books. Loomis appealed to Angelou several more times, but each time she declined. So on his fourth attempt to get her to say yes, a now very determined Loomis employed a different approach. Quote, it's just as well you don't attempt to write an autobiography, because to write an autobiography as literature is almost impossible, Loomis said. That challenge piqued Angelou's interest. Maybe I'll try it, she replied. The result was 1969's I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. So, again, not really James Baldwin, but he did bring her to the dinner party, which perhaps <laughs> launched that book. Mm. I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings to rub it into this guy's face. Yeah, I like how strategy is basically like, bet you can't. Bet I can. Receipts. <laughs> <laughs> One last thing I'll say is he uh, wrote very critically and incisively about America, but didn't really feel that he had a place in America a lot of the time, and that mm-hmm. is reflected in his writing. He mm-hmm. spent a lot of his life um, as an expat in France and sometime in Turkey as well, and you can sort of feel that pain in a lot of his writing. And aside from these sort of basic facts, all I can say is check out his writing if this has interested you at all, or even if it hasn't interested you, give him a chance because he's a wonderful writer and... Everything he's written is worth checking out. And finally, James Baldwin died in France of stomach cancer at the age of 63 and is buried in upstate New York. Good facts, Andrew. Okay. How do we how do we transition from literary master James Baldwin to his contemporary to his oh to his contemporary literally his predecessor yeah. by a single year <laughs> Bailey did you read a book this week I did I read a book uh, <laughs> I read a book called Flowers in the Attic by V C Andrews Virginia Andrews <sighs> All right I read it too You actually finished the book before I did so mm-hmm. it was kind of interesting because you kept being like Have you finished Have you finished Yeah because it gets wilder and wilder but I'll I'll step back I'll let All you. right So um. For those of you who don't know, um, The Flowers in the Attic is a cult classic. It was a very popular book in the 1980s. It was something that was kind of a rite of passage for young women in the 80s to read. Um, It's hard because I don't want to spoil the book, but at the same time, what it is known for is brother love. (laughs) I was going to say, literally the only thing I know about it is that there is an incestuous subplot. Yeah. (laughs) I just was not prepared for the word brother love to drop from (laughs) So, okay, so the reason why people read it, and I can imagine sort of like slipped it to their friends to be like, you have to read this, is because it's so like illicit. Um, It's the first in a series of, I think, 10 books. Oh, wow. Andrew knows how many? I'm not sure. But it's called the Dollenganger Saga. So the Dollenganger are the, that's the last name of the family. So the Dollenganger children um, are living a happy life with their mother, Corinne, and their father, Christopher. Oh, and they're very beautiful and very happy in the 1950s. And then one day, Christopher dies in a car accident. And it's very sad. Um, And the mother says, I don't know what we're going to do. But then she comes up with this bombshell. Guys, I never told you this, but I actually came from a very rich family. So we're going to return to my um, home and I'm out of favor with my parents, but I'm going to get back in their favor and I'm going to then inherit their money and we're going to be rich and happy. Mm -hmm. So they show up at this grand estate and surprise, surprise, grandparents are not happy to see them. Yeah, well, I think, and it's like a prerequisite of the whole plan too. The mom says, I'm out of favor with your grandfather and he must never learn of your existence. Right. Right. So that, so the whole plot of the book hangs on them 
being hidden away. So they get there, and there's this grand house, but the grandmother just locks them in the room. <laughs> in the and, attic. And is like, well, in a room that has oh, yeah. st- a staircase to an attic. And they lock them in. They're like, you have to be quiet, you know, because not even the servants can hear you because if grandfather finds out, you'll be out on the street. Well, yeah. Rule number one is don't run around. Rule number two is don't have sex with each other. Rule number- That's like rule number two. She, <laughs> grandma comes down on it so hard. She's like, she has a list. And literally, like, rule number one, be quiet. Rule number two, don't touch each other. Rule number three, never take the Lord's name in vain. Rule number four, don't look at each other's naked bodies. Yeah. Grandma, what? Yeah. It's so, it's like right from the get-go. It is insane. Yeah. So the mother, Corinne's like, hey, guys, I'm really sorry about this situation. Don't worry, I just need a day. And they're like, cool, cool, cool. We can survive a day. Cut to, like, three years later, they're still in, in mm-hmm. the attic. Okay, so the family... I'm still doing the plot here, but I think it's kind of fun to hear the, hear yeah. the plot because it's so <laughs> ridiculous. So the um, it's told from the perspective of Kathy Dollenganger, who's the main character. She has an older brother, Christopher. Hubba hubba. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, God. And, and two younger twin siblings, Corey and Carrie, who are kind of the worst. Let's oh, be real. God. They're such 80s children, where it's just like... I don't know why the 80s hated children so much, but they just scream and complain and whine. Like, don't want to eat vegetables. Oh, they're the worst. I don't want to be locked in an attic. <laughs> That's the thing is they don't really complain about the attic as much as they do, like, the things that the main character is trying to do that are nice for them. Right. Yeah. So, so that's the concept. Um and we're following Kathy as years pass. She goes from 12 to, I think, 15. Um, so she, a lot of it is about how she is developing, um, going through puberty, and mm-hmm. so is Chris. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like suddenly she's like, huh, remember that thing Grandma said I shouldn't do? What if I did it? <laughs> oh, it gets so strange. Um, so this this book is high melodrama, high camp, um, gothic horror Pulp Fiction, it's all of those things. So, like, don't go into it expecting it to be James Baldwin. <laughs> Number one. Why not? <laughs> um, so, okay, so the elves, the great things about this book. Um, there's something fun, and this, it, it became very famous as a Lifetime movie that then they remade in 2014 again as another Lifetime movie. So it's very, like I say, melodramatic. And so it's kind of fun to just think about like how ridiculous this situation is how heightened everything is and the stuff that happens the reveals you're like what now totally yeah um so that's kind of fun and escapist um i also think it wins the award for worst mother ever mm-hmm. in in a book so that was really interesting um I actually, I actually think that the writing, while very like purple prose, is kind of good for the genre. I think Toby might disagree. Mm. Well, it it kind of ricochets back and forth. Some of it is good, and some of it is just wild. Especially the the children's dialogue. Sometimes they're talking like kids, and sometimes they're talking about like actors, like old timey actors. Like I wish you wouldn't. Like it's just so bizarre. Well, because it takes place in the fifties. Yeah, but they're speaking like weirdos. Yeah, like I mean, total fair. weirdos. And I, I love it. Kathy is often saying things like, "Golly, gosh, gee, Willikers, yeah, goodly boodly." Like she yeah. just goes on and on, and it's hilarious. I'm sorry, goodly boodly, goodly boodly. Yes, that's that's my oh, own okay. take on it. There is also a little bit of weird, like author gaslighting. I don't know if you clocked this, 
where they're like, remember when mother told us about this secret safe? And I'm like, did I skip that chapter? Because I don't remember. There's a bunch of that stuff. And I was like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Okay. So let me give you a sense of the, of the writing. Oh, okay. So one big consideration to this book is, which stupidly I didn't consider before I started reading it. Guys, these kids are trapped inside. We're trapped inside right now. It was not a very escapist yeah. book because of the quarantine. So I had to kind of take some breaks. So here's <laughs> here's an example of their of the writing and a description of what it feels like to be trapped in an attic, which you know might feel familiar to you. Page 106. All the days dragged by monotonously. What did you do with time when you had it in superabundance? Where did you put your eyes when you had already seen everything? What direction should your thoughts take when daydreams could lead you into so much trouble? I could imagine how it would be to run outside, wild and free in the woods, with dry leaves crackling under my feet. I could picture swimming in the nearby lake or wading in a cool mountain stream. But daydreams were merely cobwebs, easily torn into shreds, and I'd quickly be dropped back into reality. And where was happiness? In the yesterdays? In the tomorrows? Not in this hour, this minute, this second we had one thing and one thing only to give us a spark of joy hope so after i read that part i was like i need a break yeah (laughs) (laughs) that is one of the better passages in the book yeah okay so orcs it's a little problematic why a lot problematic yeah so this whole book is like a trigger warning content warning for like everything um not (laughs) not just the incest the incest stuff there's a lot of like obviously abuse and sexual abuse and that's a big issue and it's romanticized and that's not okay yes i would heartily agree um another orc i would say is that as i said this is the beginning in a series um and as it ends there are a lot of things that are not tied up because it's like gotta read the next one and so there are characters in particular that like don't get their comeuppance that you want them to that there is no logic behind them getting their comeuppance are yeah, not getting their comeuppance. Not, yeah. Um, and it's like, well, you better keep reading. And the next one, Petals on the Wind, starts literally where this one ends. So I think that's the idea. Yeah. So next next episode on the two read list, <laughs> Petals on the Wind. This one kind of reminded me. I don't know if listeners have had this experience. It's not as bad, but I read all of the Twilight books. I read all of the Fifty Shades of Grey books. Did I enjoy them? Yeah. <laughs> No, but like then I couldn't stop reading them and I couldn't put them down. So I guess I did. There's some kind of like, like looking at a car accident. Hmm. Like you just want to, you just want to keep going. But it's like a sexy car accident. Like a sexy car accident. (laughs) So like I, I read a Goodreads review where someone was like one star. I hated this one. And the next one, and the next uh-huh. one. <laughs> and I was like, "So you right. read? So you read them all?" So I actually thought this book is between a three and a four star. What? What? Because here's the thing: for what it is, I think it's a really good representation of that genre. It is problematic. Heck, yes, it is. <laughs> um, as a high camp melodrama, <laughs> this is three to four stars for me. But Toby, I know that you have very strong opinions, so why don't you say your stars, and then we'll go into our spoilers. It's a perfect transition because I rated this two stars, mostly because of the problematic elements and the ending. So we'll transition now into our spoiler section. If you want to read this book, before we do that, may I just say, 
We're letting Bailey say between three and four. Oh, and that's we're not true. Fight her on yeah, it. that's um, true. Here's here's the thing. It's a three, but I want to say four because I want to be different than Toby. I want to defend the book. <laughs> and Toby's giving it two, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna like it. So okay, spoiler section. <laughs> spoiler section. Spoiler. Spoiler. Don't go forward if you don't want the spoils. I want spoilers, <laughs> and I have not read the book, so I'm gonna listen in here. Okay. The brother, the brother rapes her. Yeah. And she's like very, the author is clearly like, this is a sexy thing to have happen. Like that was like where it went down from four to three for me. And then at the end, this is a big spoiler. This is like the ultimate spoiler. At one point in the book, uh, one of the twins becomes sick and dies. And uh, at the very end of the book, it is revealed that this whole time their mother has been poisoning them very slowly. Not the slowly. whole time. Okay, sorry. Since the grandfather died. This is why Bailey's okay with it being four stars. Um, I brought you a gift, Toby. <laughs> yes, Bailey brought me some powdered donuts. Uh, very creepy, considering that the mother feeds the kids arsenic-laced donuts, right? Um, so this is like, you know, it's actually kind of a thing in its favor, because I actually liked that it, it really went for it, the drama, the gothic nature of it being like the mother is trying to kill them. Mm-hmm. I liked that. Yeah. But then uh, at the very end of this book, the children are, they have escaped from the house. Yeah. Um, their sibling is dead. Mm-hmm. They know that the mother did it and they have the evidence on them. They have like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, powdered donuts with the arsenic in them. They can prove to whatever police that they lived in this house. And so, and they engage in this bizarre, complicated logic, which ends up with them not doing anything about it. And also... Well, the deciding not to do anything yeah, about it. Yeah, they decide not to do anything about it. And their mother inherited all this money from the grandfather. If they turned her in, they would get that money. They wouldn't get that money. They would stop her from getting the money. Well, even that... The reason... Okay, okay. I'm going to defend this book. I'm going to take... I can't believe you're defending okay. this book. Number one, the rape is problematic. Yes, that is true. How this book is framed is that the whole time as they go into puberty, the kids are so full of like hormones and desire and they don't have anywhere to put it. And in my head, it was kind of like, seriously, like they got the idea almost from A, the fact that their grandmother's telling them not to and B, like they find out that their mother and father were incestual. Yeah. Um, so they're like, wait, hold up. What? Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's why the grandma's so upset. Like that's, that's why, the, why she was disinherited. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> she and so, the, and, and you find that out pretty early. That's too. pretty early. So she, they're like, "Why does grandma hate us?" And she's like, "Well, you know, when I was you know young, I met my half uncle, and he was just so hot." That and we, that's your dad, who's dead. That's your dad. <laughs> spoiler, spoiler alert! It turns out that it's in future books that it's actually her brother too. Oh, full brother. Well, half brother versus okay. half uncle. Oh my god! So <laughs> that doesn't make it better. What? No, it doesn't make it better. It makes it worse. Uh, okay, why? so 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 with the rape, I cannot defend it. This Content warning. It's terrible. Yeah. Um, the donuts. <laughs> cool. Loved cool. it. Yeah, I agree. The donuts are a cool plot point, but the decision not to like. It just is so in service of whatever the next book is. And also, I have to say, um, this is not necessarily a critique, but I was really expecting for there to be like a throwaway line like, oh, yeah, by the way, you guys aren't related, so it's okay. Never happens. They're, no, no, they're, it's not they okay. They are 100% blood related. They yeah. are brother and sister. They're brothers. Yeah. Sister. I mean, 
there's a little bit of interest because the mother is the one that gave him the donuts. That was like the big reveal. And you realize it wasn't the evil grandmother. And the evil grandmother is actually the one that's like, you shouldn't be eating sweets. I wouldn't eat those. Yeah. And they're like, mm, yum, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> That grandma with her unreasonable advice of not having sex with your brother and not eating donuts. Yeah. Yeah, it turns out grandma was right all the time. Yeah. Toby, should we act out this scene? Yes, please. We're going to do a two-read list first, a dramatic reading. Okay. I'm excited. (laughs) Um, So let's set the scene, yes? So Kathy has developed, and she is checking herself out naked in front of the mirror. And Chris is in the room. And Chris walks in and is is like, oh, golly gee. Oh, golly gee, you're naked, and I kind of like it. And then the grandma catches them. Okay, grandma enters. So, I have at last caught you. I knew I would sooner or later. You have caught us? What have you caught? Nothing. Sinners! (laughs) You think you look pretty. You think those new young curves are attractive. You like that long golden hair that you brush and brush and curl. (laughs) How many times have you allowed your brother to use your body? Use? What do you mean? That's Kathy. Back to Chris. What I mean is, uh, we haven't really done anything bad. Go on, look at me with your hateful, suspicious eyes. Believe what you will, but Kathy and I have never done one single wicked, sinful, or unholy thing. Your sister was naked. (laughs) She has allowed you to look on her body, so you have done wrong. Sit down, girl. I am going to cut off your hair (laughs) to the scalp, and then maybe you won't feel pride when you look in the mirror. You are not going to cut off one strand of Kathy's hair, grandmother. Take just one step in her direction, and I will pound you over the head with this chair. All right, have it your way. I will give you your choice, girl. The loss of your hair or no food or milk for an entire week. The twins have done nothing wrong. Chris has done nothing. He didn't know I was unclothed (laughs) when he came down from the attic. It was all my fault. I can go without food and milk for a week. I won't starve, and besides, Mama won't let you do this to me. She'll bring us food. Your hair or no food for a week. (laughs) You are wrong to do this, old woman. I caught Kathy by surprise. We did nothing sinful. We never have. You judge us by circumstantial evidence. Your hair or none of you will eat for a week. And if you lock yourself in a bathroom or hide yourself in the attic, then not one of you will eat for two weeks. I think you will be the one to shear off your sister's long cherished hair. When I come back and see your sister without hair, then the four of you will eat. And then she leaves. That's really wonderful. Yeah, yeah. thank you so much. Thank you for your performance. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed it. That gives you a sense of... That gives you a taste, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. A strong taste. Mm -hmm. So, four and a half stars? I'm giving it three stars. It's it's honestly a three star, but I just want to disagree with Toby. Also... (laughs) Did you know, I'm just looking at this book, V.C. Andrews has a little R next to it, like registered, like cop, like the name is registered. V. Maybe C. it's Andrews. like a... I can tell you why. I can tell Good you transition. why that is. Great transition. So end of spoilers, end of spoilers, flowers in the attic. You know, if you're into some pulpy, <laughs> illicit fun, pick it up. Three stars. Mm-hmm. Toby says two stars. Andrew, hit us up with some facts. I'm sure she had a Please. total, totally normal life. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Flowers in the attic. If you're a sick, nasty freak, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> that's the subtext of what Bailey just said. Here's the thing. I was so excited to do the research on this. I was expecting nuts stuff to come up. It's not there. I mean, there's some stuff, but it's like I was expecting to find like article after article of like, this is some insane stuff about V.C. Andrews. And it really, 
disappointingly and maybe scarily a little normal. Mm. Um, well, how cute is her brother? She does have two brothers. <gasps> two older brothers. All right, let me do, let me just dive right in here, you little perverts. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is the first surprise. Cleo Virginia Andrews. <gasps> Whoa. It's switched. CV. What? CV Andrews. Whoa. Uh, I will say she initially wrote under the name Virginia, and then they wanted something that was gender non-signifying, so they went with VC. It's hilarious, though, because this book is so targeted towards women. Mm-hmm. Like, that's funny. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. This it was it was the late seventies. Um, so uh, Cleo Virginia Andrews was born in Portsmouth, Virginia, in nineteen twenty three. The youngest child of three, she had two older brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, when she was young, and this is sort of permeates her whole life. Actually, I, I want to take a poll here. When do you think? How old do you think she was when she wrote Flowers in the Attic? Well, is Flowers in the Attic her first book? Flowers in the Attic is her first published work. She wrote a previous novel that was never published except as an ebook in like twenty. 20- Ten. I'm going to go young. I'm going to say she's like an S.C. Hinton. I'm going to say she was like 20. I'm going to. Okay. 20. I'm just going to guess the opposite. And I'm going to say like in her late 40s. Okay. You're both undershooting it. She was 56. No Whoa. way. Okay, but we'll get there. With her first book, she was 56. <laughs> yeah. Let's get there. Also, she kind of hits it out of the park because this is a big bestseller. And she wrote like 80 books. <laughs> well, okay. We're going to get there. <laughs> All right. When she. This is overwhelmingly biggest fact that you can find about her on the internet um, and it's quite sad when she was young she suffered a fall down a school stairwell which resulted in like disastrous injuries to her back these injuries both the injuries that actually happened then and how they decided to try to treat it in like operations and, and therapies and whatnot resulted in like crippling arthritis mm-hmm. and reduction in movement so that most of her life after this she was in a wheelchair or used crutches and it was limited in in her movement mm. her father died in her early 20s she ended up supporting the uh family not through her later life as an author but as a commercial artist um mm. she was a very successful uh, visual artist an illustrator portrait painter regular painter wow and that's how she made her living for a very long time for about 50 years hey, hey cv in all of your like family advertisements there's like a weird energy between the siblings have you noticed this like they're always looking at each other over the soup or whatever we're advertising i don't know what you're talking about um no so she didn't start writing until her 50s i mean flowers in the attic came out in 1979 she was 56 when it came out it was her first novel wow it was an immediate commercial success nice. and she continued to write and publish regularly at least a novel a year until 1986 when she died. Ooh. So she didn't write most of the things that are considered V.C. Andrews books. What? Now, here we go. So, since 1986, a ghostwriter named Andrew Niederman has published a butt-ton of work in her name. Huh. Including, in 2020, three different novels, and there are two slated already for this year. What? So, V.C. Andrew books are still coming out. She died in 1986. That's the year I was born. The year Bailey was born is the last time she was writing. So, Flowers in the Attic, first novel. She says she wrote it in two weeks. Got one what? round of revisions, which she did in a night. And then published. <laughs> <laughs> this book is 390 pages long. This is a long the, book. Two weeks? Wow. She cl- This is what she claimed. Did she also discover, like, 
speed at the age of 56 speed like, was very popular it's true yeah <laughs> it's like 1979 that is insane but, yeah. that's crazy and uh yeah i will say this book has for sure the feel of a book that had one round of revisions that someone did in a night I think the notes that she put into the manuscript were that they wanted it to be spicier. No. So oh, apparently wow. whatever was there in the first draft, they were like, this wasn't far enough, VC. 1979, you crazy. Um, so you know, you pointed out that there's a registered mark next to VC Andrews. Now that, as you might guess, is because mm-hmm. VC Andrews is actually a product that is created by now Andrew Niederman and the estate of VC Andrews, not an actual person. Okay. Okay. The IRS has ruled on this that VC Andrews carries value as a name, as a like, like Coca Cola. I mean, that's fair. It's yeah, it's like fair. an R. L. Yeah. Stein. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why there's that registered mark there. Um, you can thank Andrew Niederman for everything after 1986 that was re- published with the VC Andrews name. Thank you, Andrew Niederman. But I think a lot of fans are not are like. They want like the real the OG, v- the OG VC. Mm. For, from what I can tell, the true VC Andrews connoisseurs like what she wrote up to her death in the two novels after it. That um, apparently, I don't think she actually wrote, but um, were like heavily outlined by her. Mm. And then after that, Niederman's just going wild. <laughs> um, All right. The only other thing I saw that kept coming up was that she thought she was psychic. <laughs> but I don't know if we can really dig into that. She says she predicted some deaths based on dreams. Well, that that kind Sounds of happens right. with Kathy. Yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, she died in 1986. Um, she has a small cameo in the Lifetime movie as the maid. Oh. So that was one of the last things that she did. She died of cancer. And, uh, yeah, anything published after 1986? That's Mr. Niederman. Mr. Niederman. All right. Um, now it's time for a game. And this is exciting because Toby was the one who said, I want to do the game this week. So, Toby. Toby wanted this real bad. I did. And I have to give credit. Uh, Dylan helped me refine the game. Oh, so this is a, um, a Dylan and Toby joint. I have a little spiel here. And it's going to be Bailey versus Andrew. Okay. okay. In Flowers in the Attic, Kathy is often described as reading various works of classic literature. As if to remind readers that, yes, good books do exist, even even if you're not reading one right now. Wow. James Baldwin's The Fire Next Time is a good book, but its subject matter does not lend itself to games. Thus, I give you The Fire Last Time. I will give an altered version of the title of a famous work of literature that either has fire in the title or is directly related to fire. If you can guess the classic work on the title alone, you get two points. If you're stumped... I will give a brief plot summary, and if you get it after that, you get one point. If you still can't get it after that, I'll give you the author's name, and you'll get zero points, but you get to salvage a bit of your pride. I love this game already. So we'll do an example just to make sure everything is perfectly clear. So here is the altered title of a famous work of literature that has to do with fire. The altered title is Celsius Number. Fahrenheit 451. Yeah. Perfect. You get it. I win. You win. Okay. To be fair, I also knew the answer. Bailey will go with you first. Yes. The title is Hirsute Claymaker, also Cup of Heat. Hirsute, like Hirsute one word. Mm-hmm. Claymaker? Mm-hmm. Say the rest part. Hirsute Claymaker, also Cup of Heat. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Very good. <laughs> All right, Andrew, your, ti- yes. your title the Big Blaze of the Self-Obsessed. Bonfire of the Vanities. Wow. You guys are very good at this. 
Get ready to get a tie game because we're both going to get everything correct. I have a tiebreaker. Okay, this one is even easier. Oh, no. Bailey? Yeah. Tiny conflagrations all over the place. Little fires everywhere. Oh, no. I told you. I told you. Um, okay, this one's hard, Andrew. Oh, no. I knew little fires everywhere. Faded flame. Pale fire by Vonnegut? No, by Nabokov, but it's okay. Oh, sorry. Pale fire by Vladimir Nabokov. It's, I didn't it's have correct. To say the author. That was probably the hardest one. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, Bailey? Yeah. A tune of chili and hot hot. A song of ice and fire. Oh, no. <laughs> Chili and hot hot. Yourself, Toby. Did you run out of other words for fire? Yes. Uh, and you can tell because uh, the next one, Dave's fire. Wait, what? Dave's fire. Dave's fire. Mm-hmm. I don't know this one, Andrew. Yeah, Dave's fire. Um, we do have a hint, but I then I would lose. Yeah. I can't accept any hints or I would lose. We have more we have um, more on the way. Don't be afraid. I don't know. I just feel okay, Dave's fire. Can I yeah, I'll take the hint for the you prepared these hints, I okay. might as well take one. Yeah, I work really hard on the hints, guys. <laughs> uh, penned by a famous Italian. This book follows the narrative. Oh, Dante's Inferno. <laughs> I didn't even get to finish the hint. Wait, why Dante why Dave? Because I had to, I, I had to find some other D name. Oh. What else am I gonna say? Oh. Um, all right, Bailey. Sorry, it's the Divine Comedy, Inferno. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so one point. So Bailey's in the lead. <laughs> Bailey. But in the hot of the not day. In the heat of the oh, night. Oh come on! <laughs> say that again. In the heat of the night. Oh no. I thought you were going to do on the hot of the evening. Dave's fire. <laughs> Dave's fire was pretty hard. Versus was... a, a, a song of chili and hot hot. <laughs> <laughs> and I had pale fire by oh, Nabokov. We're still going. Oh, we're still come going. On. Come on, Andrew. Meredith Cinders. Meredith Cinders. Meredith's uh, possessive. Cinders. Cinders. Okay. Oh, uh, Angela's Ashes. It's right. Why Meredith? Yeah, why Meredith? <laughs> uh, it has to be a female name, and I thought of people, women from the office. Uh, okay. <laughs> Love it. Oh, okay, that's it. No, that makes sense. Um, Bailey? Yeah. Capturing Flames. Catching Fire? No. Yeah, um, that's correct. Hunger Games? Yeah. Yes. Um, all right, last one, Andrew. I'm afraid there's <sighs> no way you can win, but you can go out on a strong I, one. I don't know. His were harder than mine. This last one might be the hardest, uh, hard as well. Gracias Fuming. Oh. Gracias Fuming. Gracias Fuming. Gracias for Fuming. What? Nothing. Okay, so it's thank you for smoking? That's correct. Wow, you guys okay. You guys needed cool. none of my hints. Well, you needed half of the hint for... Uh, for Dave's for Dave's fire. <laughs> Uh, chili hot hot which for the record is called the divine comedy but okay <laughs> oh no um do you guys would you like to hear the tiebreaker I mean, yeah it's quite a fun one yes absolutely to be fair toby i know i'm being very defensive right now but this is a very fun game i'm having a great guys, time the hints were great okay. <laughs> all the hints were great uh the tiebreaker if you needed it was going to be ashy lassie oh god i hated that one ashy lassie mm-hmm. um something girl the only hard one, apparently. Ashy. Um, Ashy Lassie. Burned girl. Cinderella. Yes. Andrew wins. 
no. <laughs> I declare Andrew the winner, Cinderella. Great job, guys. Good. You burned through those. Ah. Wow. Well, t- Toby, that was a really fun game. I'm sorry we didn't use your hints no, more. No, it's all good. But we're you just guys are too, too good. good. Okay. All right. So all right. with the game over, I think it's time for that part of the podcast where Dylan chooses books at random from our shelves. It's time for the, the choosing. Choosing. The choosing. The picky pick pick. The pickety pick pick. The picky pick pick. And it is going to be Petals on the Wind, Dave's correct? pick. <laughs> but you see, Toby won't have the above ground tiny person. Eh, this is too hard to do off the top of my head. Toby, you have number 13, The Berry Giant by Kazuo Ishiguro. Oh. Oh. Yes. Okay, I should read that too. Yeah, is that I'm, on your list, Andrew? It is. Uh-oh. Oh. I'm really excited. I love Kazuo Ishiguro. Um, so it's going to be a great one for me. I like Never Let Me Go. It's a good one. And Bailey, number 29, Dreams for My Father by Barack Obama. Okay. Hmm. I haven't read any of Obama's books. I This is like, I think, the least famous of the books. Hmm. So we'll see. Yeah. I read his new one. It's really good. Cool. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So in two weeks, I will be reading Dreams from My Father by Barack Obama. And Andrew's reading Frankly in Love by David Yoon. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List Podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the To Read List Podcast and on Instagram at the To Read List Podcast. And if you like what you heard today, uh, take a moment and on Apple Podcast or your podcatcher of choice, rate us five stars and leave a review. Sounds silly, but it does actually raise our profile a little bit, makes it a little bit easier for folks to find us. And, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and following up from that, uh, if you have any friends uh, who are into books, uh, you need to tell them directly to listen to this podcast. It's the best way to spread the word. Uh, If you don't know anybody off the top of your head, search in your attic. There's bound to be at least one child abandoned there uh, in an inheritance scheme. Who do you know that loves both James Baldwin and V.C. Andrews? Everyone. Everyone. Every single person (laughs) especially abandoned children thanks to toby and andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me for dylan for sound recording and to miss jillian beth durkee for composing our intro song see you in two weeks happy reading books 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 books. books.